Father, we do come before You and we ask You to bless this message. May it be Your words that are spoken and not mine. May Your word penetrate our heart. May it shoot through it, Lord. We, we pray that we might go forth growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus, praising Your name. Lord, we look forward to Your grace as the watchman looks forward to the dawning of the sun. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. The walls are burnt down. You might remember, as John was just talking about, Jerusalem was the center of everything. For Jewish worship, it is the center. It is the capital of everything. And the Jewish people, though, had been in a covenant with God. They made covenant, they made promises to God. But they had turned their back on God. They got caught up in an entire manner of things. And God would warn them. He would send a prophet. He would send another prophet. And He would warn them and plead with them to come back, to return to Him. But they kept turning away. So finally, God sends judgment. And this promised land, remember how treasured the promised land was to the Jews. They'd been in captivity uh, in Egypt. They'd come forth. They'd seen all of the plagues that were wrought upon the Egyptians. They'd traveled through the Red Sea. And here they get ready to go into the promised land and uh, they send the spies into the land. Remember the 12 spies that go into the land. And they went into the land and they said, 10 of them went, whoa, there's some big guys like Yao Ming out there. They've got guys the size of Hulk Hogan. I'm not going in there, man. We're going to get beat up. It looks like Teddy Bruschi in there. I'm not going in there. And then you got guys like Caleb and Joshua come along there and they go, eh, what's the big deal? God's on our side. Look at the little, we little guys. We can take this. And they didn't. So God had them, because of their lack of faith and not trusting in His promises, He had them wander in the desert for 40 years. And then they come in and they take the promised land under Joshua after the 40 years. This coveted land, this promised land that God had promised all the way back to their ancestor Abraham. And then, now they're taken off the land and put into exile. It was the worst punishment that they could endure. And the walls of their city had been torn down. And Nehemiah, who is working in in this pagan capital now, and he's thinking back, he's trying to figure out what's going on, God. He hears the news because there had been this exile, this remnant that had returned to the city to help rebuild it. And it started to, then it was stopped because of a host of external factors. And he hears the news about it stopping. And then we saw last week that he sat down and wept and prayed. Now, before we really get into his life, we have to understand there's a, there's a connection. There is, yes, the physical wall, but there is a spiritual wall. And Nehemiah, we're going to see through his life, he helps rebuild these not only physical walls, but spiritually helps restore the people. And there's one element that's found throughout any type of wall that you build, or the spiritual wall that you build. And that's what this whole subject is centered around today, and it's the subject of prayer. The subject of prayer. You can follow along with me if you so desire within your notes. Uh, they're found on the back side of the canvas. But it is prayer. Nehemiah prays. He's a man of great prayer. And he sits down and he prays. In verse 5 we begin, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of love. He prays. What do you do when you are confronted by imaginable difficulty? Tribulation that comes into your life like a lightning bolt illuminating the evening sky that is just dark as night. 
That's what he does. This trial, this darkness that he almost could be felt had come in around him. And he felt just how far they had gone from God. And how much he needed God. And he prays and it illuminates the entire sky. So he, he prays. He responds to this difficulty with prayer. What do we do? We call something. Call someone. Talk them on the phone. Get on the computer, surf. We just vegetate. Uh, when some trial comes to us, we need to sit down in front of the television and just veg. Turn on some music and just focus. Do we, do we stop and pray? Knowing that God is sovereign over the entire universe. Realizing that everything is beholden to Him. That all power is at His command and His hand. That He is sovereign, that He is all-powerful. And He is all-knowing and He knows our struggles. But He's compassionate and just. And He speaks to us in the midst of our pain. He prays. He prays. That's what the apostles did when they faced difficulty. They prayed. When they were put in prison, what they do? They prayed. When they went to tri- through tribulation, they prayed. When they faced uh, misunderstanding and persecution, they prayed. When they ate, they prayed. When they came together to worship and have communion, they prayed. When they gave their lives at the feet of their persecutors, what did they do? They prayed for the persecutors. Their lives were just pregnant with prayer. Every every part of their life just breathed prayer. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. In this book, Nehemiah has nine recorded prayers. It is the mortar that holds the spiritual walls together. That's what it is. That's what it's going to serve as. It is a spiritual mortar that holds the foundation of our spiritual life together. Without it, it just falls right over. It topples when circumstance comes. When all these tribulations come against us, our walls can't stand. So when the walls are torn down in your spiritual life, do you pray? What is your prayer life like? like right now? Is it a burden? Is it a blessing? Is it something you have to do? Or is it just like a dolphin that's in the water and then it needs to go above to get breath and go back down? That's what prayer is. Prayer is God's oxygen to us to help us go in the world. We're in the world. We're in the midst of the world, but we have to come to God and get that spiritual sustenance and come back into the world knowing that we've been sustained by him. So everything about Nehemiah is shown within his prayers. What, would, what do we know about prayer? I mean, you, you can do prayer anywhere. You can pray for anyone, about any problem. Sometimes, I mean, how do you pray? Have you ever thought of that? How do you pray? In our common Western way, we pray with our hands folded or together. My daughter has this thing now. She learned at nursery school and you can't pray outside of this. We're at the table. If you've ever been to my house and eating, and we have this prayer, she goes, no, 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 no. We have to do this. And we all stop, and we go, thank you, God. Thank you, God. It's something that she does. Every time she prays. And it's great. But is this in the Scripture? You ever seen this in the Scripture? I mean, we always pray like this with our eyes closed, head bowed, hands folded together. You know, is that how they pray in the Old Testament, the Scriptures? No. Jews actually prayed like this. Why? They were expecting to receive. They said, God, with hands, their arms lifted high to heaven. I mean, God, we pray like this. God couldn't squeeze a blessing in there. He just, ah! They expected to receive. We don't. Ah, we don't want to know what's out there. It's a common practice that we have. Where, regardless how you feel comfortable praying, in order to have the spiritual walls of your life to be rebuilt, you need to get on your face before your Creator and pray. 
In one area of Africa where Christianity began to spread some time ago, converts were zealous about daily devotions. They would find their own spot within the wild thickets and pour their hearts out to God. After some time, the spots became well-worn and paths were created. Soon, one's prayer life was made public. If someone began to neglect his or her devotional life, it would soon be noticed by others. Believers would then gently and lovingly remind those in neglect, the grass grows on your path. You're neglecting your walk with the Lord. Yes, we are to pray, but how are we to pray? And we can look into Nehemiah. We're going to see how his life served how we are to pray to God. This prayer that we have, his longest prayer, serves as how, an example of how we can pray. The spirit of his prayer to God. Let's look at the text. Verse 5. Actually, verse 4. Uh, it begins the impetus of, of the entire section. As, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments, let your ear be attentive, attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Let's, let's stop right there. What do you notice? There's a key word that we should notice right here. How often did he pray? How often did he pray? He says, that I pray before you one minute a day at 1 p.m.? No. Day and night. Day and night. The Jews actually had practices of prayer at 9, 12, and 3. That's when they would stop and they would take time to pray. Do you take that time to pray? Here he is. I'm praying day and night. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's on his knees for day and night every time, but he's in the spirit and attitude of prayer. He's praying to God. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great pastor, uh, who pastored a um, 5,000 member church at the age of 19 in the 1800s, before modern amplification. Amazing man. Started over 2,000 ministries. His sermons were being published around the world while he was still living in his early 20s. Amazing, amazing guy. But they said he was never out of the presence of God more than 15 minutes. Not that he was going down and bowing down all the time, but he had this culti- he, he cultivated this attitude of prayer. And someone would come to him with the circumstance, and you know what he would say? I must speak to Father about this. I must speak to Father about this. This attitude of prayer. But he, uh, not only do we see Nehemiah saying night and day, we can see also in the first part of verse 4, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, days. I continued fasting and praying and getting a hold of God. Well, have you got a hold of God? Have you laid down your heart and all your struggles and all your sin and just poured it out? Have you ever been on your knees and cried before God? That's the first part of, of rebuilding your spiritual life. I mean, it's, it's centered in prayer, but the, how do you go about the prayer? First part is, you cry out. That's, the, that's number one. You want to get a hold of God, you've got to lay smack down on your face and cry out to God. We don't do this anymore. We're so busy. We're too busy. We're caught up in our own lives. What do you do for me? We want all these very practical little step-by-step points. We don't want to do the hard, deep things. Have you ever made a fire? You know, I have this, I have this video, I mean, you've ever seen it, like Tim the Toolman Taylor, remember him, Home Improvement? He'd start a fire and <laughs> the thing would light up, me and the guy had, you know, he was a frequent 
he had a, a frequent card to go to the burn treatment center. Get it punched in, gets so many treatments free. Okay, the, the reason is that sometimes when you have a fire just goes up like that, it's because it's got all this stuff on top of it, like a lighter fluid, but it doesn't have an, a deep abiding fire. A deep abiding fire takes time, takes foundation, and it's concentrated. Some, some of us have this, this flash-in-the-pan spiritual walk. We get on fire for a moment, and then we turn cold. But we need the deep embers of the spiritual walk. And we see that within Nehemiah's life. He had this deep walk with the Lord, and that takes time. Time. And that's the most valuable commodity in our world today, is time. But God is the most important. He requires that most of all, that time with Him. When I don't get that time with Him, it affects every aspect of my life. Ask my wife. It does. When I, though when I spend that time with God, when I get down on my knees, when I read the Word of God, and I let the Word of God just tattoo my heart, I walk away changed, different. We need to cry out. And that's what Nehemiah is doing. As soon as I heard these words, soon as he, does, he doesn't wait. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keeps His commandments. He's identifying who God is. Who this wonderful God is. He identifies the covenant that was John was mentioning, that we're in covenant Lord God, who you are? He even goes by God's covenant name. Lord, Yahweh. The name that God revealed of Himself. And Exodus 3. I am that I am. This is the covenant name. O Lord God. And then, then, then my word. What's my word? In the text. So you've been around me for some time. What's the word? Awesome. Because only God is. Awesome. Nehemiah says it. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps... Covenant. It's God has kept this covenant, which means that if God's kept it, we haven't. That's why we're in the circumstance that we're in. And steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I, pr I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel. He's crying out to Him. He's pleading with Him. Do you plead? Have you ever pl pl just pleaded with God? Something that's in your life that's going on right now. Maybe it's a trial. Maybe it's a struggle. Maybe it's something going on and you just wrestle. And you're like, I'm not letting go. I'm going to be like Jacob and let not let go. Or maybe you had taken Jesus' admonition in Luke 18 when He was speaking of the parable of the persistent widow. And I quote, And He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in the city, that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not give ju God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? Are you crying out to God to understand? Are you pouring out to Him for not only for yourself, but for other people? Can't you see that within the text? Look. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant, this covenant was made to the nation of Israel, and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep his, keeps His commandments. Keep His commandments. 
Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray you before you day and night. For whom? For the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. He's standing in the gap for other people. When have you prayed for someone else in their spiritual walk that they would come to Jesus? Can we get the understanding of eternity here? I don't think we get it. That we're here just for a, a breath and we're gone. Life is like that. And then we're in the presence of Almighty God. There are no U-turns that when that happens. We're there before that one which our soul loves. I mean, are we, are we praying for those? We love them enough to care for them, to sit down and talk with them about Jesus. I remember I was in uh, Northern Ireland. I was doing uh, outreach to members of the Irish Republican Army, IRA family. We were going into their communities, and we didn't say that we were Protestant because of the whole Protestant-Catholic war going on. So we were Christians and we were American. So they were more likely to listen to us. And uh, the, as we would go into these different communities and we'd share Christ, and it, we'd struggle because we didn't know exactly what to say. And the man who was the head of this mission, he was a short little man, he was British, but he had a phenomenal success in doing ministry here because he got it. He got this eternity mindset. He had no education. He was dyslexic, actually. He could barely read. He'd come to this country, um, coming over to Northern Ireland from, uh, from England, and he'd gone through tribulation after tribulation. He buried his wife there. His son was run over by a car at, right after an evangelistic meeting was over. He was meeting with people, and his son was killed. He said, I understood eternity then, but I also stood before, you know why I'm here? He said, you know what I was? When I became a Christian, I was actually working in a morgue. Working, he goes, I was working in a hospital. And there was this man there that he was, he was dying and he was slowly going through this pain and I knew that I had the opportunity to share the gospel with him and I felt the Lord telling me that I needed to share the gospel with him. And I kept waiting and I kept waiting and I kept waiting. And one day I was working as an orderly that we were taking the bodies down in the morgue. And we got this body, and the, the cover came off, and it was that man. And that look in his eye, his eyes were open. He was staring out into space, into a Christless eternity. And I was haunted by that. He said, then, I've given my life. I know that life is short. I can't stop telling people that who Christ is and what He has done. Not only has He given us grace for eternity, and given His Son, that we, and given his son on the cross for us, that we might have eternity with Him, but that we might live in the now. Are we praying for those that are lost? Are we staying, standing in the gap for those that are lost? Cry out. That's the first step. That's what God wants you to do. Humble yourself before Him and He will lift you up. What is the second step? To have the walls of your life rebuilt. Let's look. Verse 6. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night, the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though you're dispersed be under the farthest skies, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. But what's the second step? He cries out at the beginning, and then what's he do after he cries out in his prayer? What does he do? 
He confesses. He confesses his sin. He confesses his sin personally, and he confesses the sin of his people corporately. He's kept a short account list of his sins. Do you do that right now? I'm asking you. Well, I sure I confess to God. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What about James 5, 16? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. What about that? Are you keeping a short account of sin? Are you? Are you, are you letting the layers of sin build up in your life? No one will notice. No one cares. There's no one here to, to take, you know, take account, take stock and see what I'm doing right now. I've got this sin. It doesn't really matter. It's just a little sin. No, there is no such thing. It's a little sin. Remember, it was just a bite in the, a bite in the fruit that caused the fall of humanity. It wasn't murder. It was a bite. Do you confess your sin? Have you confessed your sins? When's the last time you confessed your sin? Have you stopped and thought about how evil you are? Depraved you are? Well, I'm relatively a good person. Spend some time, if you ever get a chance, if you want to borrow this, you can, I'll let you. Give it back to me. Read some Jonathan Edwards' sermons. Spend some time reading this man. He was a man that uh, was a theologian, was a pastor in uh, 17th century New England, or the 18th century New England, excuse me. And... You, I read his sermons and I walk away trembling for those that are lost. The reality of a word that we don't hear anymore, hell. Yes, there is a literal hell. Those that don't know Christ will spend eternity in hell. There is hell. And everyone, and we go to funerals all the time, every one of us has been to some sort of funeral, and you know what? They always say all the good things about the person. I had a funeral once. I was asked to speak at. The woman was a sister of the man. He was not a Christian. He led a horrible life. His whole family hated him. She loved him. She was the only Christian, or quote, was the only one religious. So they asked her to get a pastor to do the funeral. So they got me. And I went in there, and I said, if your loved one did not know Christ, they're in the torments of hell right now. I can't sugarcoat this for you. But even if he came to know Christ at his deathbed genuinely, then he is in the presence of God. God is merciful. God is just. We don't hear about this. If you thought of hell and what it means, the agony of hell, the pain of hell, all the regret that these people have in their hearts and their minds, that your loved ones will be in utter torment and you won't weep for them. You will not weep for them. You will not weep for them. You will be in heaven and you will look upon it and you will glorify God for what He has done when you see someone in the torments of hell. They had their opportunity. They had their chance. God is just. You will not question Him. You will bow in adoration because you will know fully the extent of how much He loves you and what He went through for you so you would not have to have a Christless eternity. We need to get the right focus to call what it is. That there is a heaven and hell in the balance. We see here, though, Nehemiah confessing his sin. He known that the difficulty that they were going through was because they had neglected God, and God brought trial and tribulation to them. 
They, God was trying to get their attention. They wouldn't listen, they wouldn't listen, and finally, He sends them into exile. And then, they, lo and behold, wow, what happened? How did we get here? That's what happens when you get into sin. Sin starts to take over. It wants a little bit, promises something, but it doesn't give what it promises. It gives a little bit more, gives a little bit more. Next thing you know, it's trapped you. And then someone wakes up one day and they go, how did I get from, I, I used to be involved in church, how did I get here? Because the sin takes and takes and takes and takes. And there's where he stops and confesses it. And he confesses it and he repents of his sin. And not only does he confess his sin, but he confesses the sins of his people. He does both. He says, not only is the church sin, but me too. Me too, I sinned. Me and my father's house, we've acted corruptly. We've turned from you. We're falling on our face before you. We're crying out and we're confessing. Do you have that type of confession in your life right now? Are you so hardened by sin and propriety and the rules of society that you can't fall down in your face and have that intimate relationship with God any longer? Are you so caught up in the culture and entertainment of the day that when it takes time to be silent that you can't take it? You get bored and you get anxious. That's because you're so addicted to the culture that you don't know what to do to be quiet before Almighty God. But remember, God allows you turns. And if you want to make this U-turn with God, the first thing you do is you cry out and you confess your sin to the Lord. Psalm 32 shows David as he speaks. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, meaning he didn't confess, he kept his sins to himself, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. See, his strength was sapped until he confessed, until he turned back to the Lord. So we pray, we cry out, we confess. And one of the last steps to, in order to have your spiritual walls rebuilt, let's look at number three. And that's found within chat, verse 8 through 11. Let's look at verse 8. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your dispersed be under the farthest skies, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayers of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this king. Did you see it in verse 8? It's also found within verse 5. What, is, what does Nehemiah, how does he address the Lord? O Lord God, the covenant name of God. And then in verse 8, remember the word that you spoke to your servant. It was the covenant with Moses that was on Sinai. Remember that. You made a promise. You made a promise that if we do this, you will respond this way. But if we do this, you'll do this. You made a promise. So he's claiming the promise of God. He is going back and claiming the promise of God. God has given us many great and precious promises within His Word. And that, as Alex said, we'll test Him. Not, not in the test as, uh, God, if you do this, I'll do this. God has laid this within His Word. Test me in this. And in the context of what Alex was referring to there was, test me. Give me you've withheld your tithes and offerings from me. Don't do that. Test me in this. I will bless you more than you could ever understand. Test me in this. 
He's saying right now, Nehemiah is saying, claim the promises. I'm claiming the promise. Though we are in the midst of the spiritual turmoil, though it is dark as night, you have promised that you would do this. That you promised that you would bring us back. That if we follow you, you will turn to us and you will make us a blessing to be a blessing for the entire world. You made a promise to Abraham. You made a promise to Moses. He's made a promise to you through Christ. Have you thought of how amazing the sacrifice of Christ is on the cross? And what the resurrection really means? I mean, yeah, we have all the stuff for Christmas and we're still celebrating Christmas and the birth of Christ. But it is pale in comparison to the resurrection Sunday. That's the glorious day. That's the big holiday because no man has ever been risen from the dead. I mean, you go to the, the tomb of Muhammad and he's still there. You go to the tomb of Joseph Smith and he's still there. You see Muhammad Ghani and he's still there. You see Buddha, he's still there. But Jesus is not there. He's not there. He's been risen again. And that means eternal life for us. That means we partake in his resurrection. That our baptism symbols are uniting with him. That he died and we die too to sin. He's risen again for our justification. Our coming up out of the water symbolizes our resurrection with Him. That we've been cleansed, we've been made new, we've been made justified. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's given us so many promises within His Word. You know some of the promises He's given? He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. No matter how bad it gets, He will not leave you or forsake you. No matter how evil you have been or what you have done, He will not leave you or forsake you. No matter how ill you are, no matter what it is that you have gone through, He will not leave you or forsake you. He has promised us that we will never taste of death. Think of that. Not tasting of death. Yes, we will. our physical bodies will die as those missionaries cried when they were being... Uh, being tormented, they said, you know what? You can kill us, but you can't hurt us. That's perspective. You can kill us, but you can't hurt us. We've got Christ. He's, he's promised us. He's promised us His peace. He's promised that while we live, He will always be with us. He will empower us. He has promised that we are children of God, co-heirs of the kingdom, stamped authority, co-heirs. It is coming to you. You are going to receive it. Signed, sealed, delivered. This is not something that's held up in probate. Okay? I don't know if you've ever had that. You've come into your inheritance. It's come into probate. This is the heir of the kingdom of God. Have you thought of that? This promise that He has given you. You are a child of God. The recipient of a new heaven and a new earth. He has promised us pleasures forevermore. He's promised us eternal life. A kingdom that will not be shaken. That will endure for eternity. And your eternal rest of pleasure in Him. Have you thought of that? Do you get excited about it? I'm excited. Can't tell. I'm excited about what He has done. And I'm excited no matter what you have done. This is the coolest thing in the world. Hear me. No matter what you have done, His grace extends to that sin. He does. It does. There might be consequences, but it's, it, you're not written off by God. You have lied. His grace is bigger. You've stolen. His grace is bigger. You have blasphemed. His grace is bigger. You have lusted. You have committed adultery. His grace is bigger. You've been spending the, 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 uh, too much time in the wrong arms of someone. His grace is bigger. Have you been putting in the wrong digits on your uh, tax return? His grace is bigger. When you confess and turn to Him, His grace is bigger. Have you murdered? It's bigger. It's 
bigger. So much more bigger. And He gives it to you. This wonderful grace. This life-giving grace that even you in the depth of your depravity can be forgiven of your sin. Woo! It's exciting to me. That God has done that. Does it make you want to shout? Or is it, I'm just all white people. They all like to be quiet. You get a black church. So we see here that if we cry out, that's what God wants us to do. Doesn't want us to come so piously, oh, oh, Father. I mean, yes, Nehemiah, oh, Lord God. I mean, remember, what, what did Jesus say in Luke 18 after he talked about the, the widow and the unjust judge? He talked about the, the repentant tax collector and the Pharisee. And the Pharisee said, oh, Lord God, I'm glad I'm not like that sinner over there. I, I fast twice a week and uh, with Muffy and Buffy. I, I give a tenth of all that I have. I'm very pious. Only in parts of me, sancti, sancti. No. And you see this other guy, this, this tax collector who was ostracized from society. He says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he couldn't even look up to heaven and stayed at a distance. And what does Jesus say? That this man, not that man, went home justified before God. He cried out. He knew. And God was merciful. God delights in us. He delights in being merciful to us. He delights in reaching out to us and saving sinners and transforming and forgiving sin. He delights in justifying and saying, this one is righteous. But Lord, I didn't do anything. Exactly. You did nothing but turn from me, but you believed in my son and that is enough and I'm going to transform you. I'm giving you my Holy Spirit. Be alive. He makes us alive. Cry out. Confess. And claim the promises. For us, not only for us individually, remember, Nehemiah is not just claiming for him individually. He's claiming for the entire nation. We claim that for our church. Lord God, we turn to you, we confess our sins, and we ask you to bless this place. Make your name great here. We want to see something done that only you can do, and that's transform your word. Transform us by your word. Transform souls. Save them. Make them whole. Make them new. Do something that all these other people shake their heads and say, how is that happening because of you? Your sovereign hand. You save individuals. You restore marriages. Those that were lonely, you set in families. Those that were heartbroken, you give them hopes and dreams. Those that were downcast and far out, you exalt them. Those that were guilt-ridden and violent and angry, you make them into hopeful encouragers. You take the prostitute and make her a sinner. You take the drug dealer and make, her, make him a preacher. That's what you do. So you want to see the walls of your life rebuilt? God will rebuild them. The mortar is what? What is the mortar? Come on, white people. There we go. Get some soul. It's the mortar that holds that spiritual wall together. That we need to can cry out. What is it? Come on. You're all going Caucasian on me again. Prayer and then it's what? Cry out. Let's say it together. Cry out. Number two. Confess. Number three. Claim the promises. Claim the promises. So let's wrap this up. 
Though your walls might be down, God will rebuild them. That's all you have to do. God's going to do it for you. God will do it. But we've got to ask. We've got to humble ourselves. We've got to turn to Him. And if you are here today and you don't know who Christ Jesus is, this wondrous guy that I've been talking and shouting and going on and on about, His grace even extends to you. That his, he died on the cross for your sins. And He has risen from the dead for your justification. It means that you're declared legally righteous. You're declared spot-free, clean, bright as wide in the sight of God. And that you will always be that way, positionally speaking, in the sight of God. And God has given you eternity. He's given you a heaven if you trust in His Son. And He will transform you. All you need to do is call out to Him. Believe in His name. Turn from your sin and embrace Him. And that's it. He'll help take care of the rest. Let's pray. Father God, You are amazing. You are mind-blowing. Lord, you have set the sun and the stars in place. You call them all by name. That you have fashioned this planet. You have filled it with all manner of vegetation and animals. And Lord, you have made man. You've made man and woman. You have brought them together. But Lord, as a, as, as a people, we have turned from you. Lord, in the fall of our first parents, we became transgressors. Transgressors by nature. And then we sin by choice. And each and every day this world goes about as if you don't exist, trying to remove you further and further from society, wanting no room for you. But Lord, your, your word endures. Man is but grass that appears for a little while and then dries up and blows away. But Lord, your word endures forever and it calls us to yourself to show that you have given us a kingdom that will not be shaken that you will bring justification and you will bring out your wrath on those that have not embraced you and do not acknowledge your love and your grace and your wonder and your mercy lord i pray that you might glorify yourself in our midst we have sinned we have not prayed to you we have not turned our hearts and inclined our hearts and our minds to you we have let the layers of sin build up in our lives we have not prayed for ourselves or for other people that are lost or hurting. Lord, may we truly be the body of Christ as we come to you, knowing that you have allowed U-turns, that you allow us to come back to you. And Lord, we cry out to you, have mercy on us, our sinners. We do claim, claim the promise of eternity. We claim the promise of that peace that transcends all understanding. We claim that promise that we will live with you forever and ever. We claim the promise that your word will not return void but will accomplish the purpose for which you intended it. Lord, we worship you. We love you. And we ask you to continue to transform us now. In the name of Almighty God, we pray. Amen.